0: It's February 7th. This is the One Year Bible Tour, and my name is David McAdam. I'm here in Concord, Massachusetts, enjoying the beauty of this winter's day here in New England. We're delighted to have you with us as we journey through the entire Bible this year. Today we will be making a stop in the book of Exodus to behold the divine architect's plan for the tabernacle. This is a structure designed by God himself as he insists that it be built according to a precise pattern where every detail speaks prophetically and eloquently of who he is in relationship to his people who come by way of the appointed sacrifice to live in his presence. It's a picture of what he has done on our behalf and what he will do in Christ. Just a few days ago, we read from Psalm 27 When David sings, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me, he shall set me high upon a rock. And as we read these passages today that deal with the design of the tabernacle in the wilderness, and later in its larger and more permanent form in the temple in Jerusalem, we can inquire as to what the furnishings speak of and how they relate to the perfections of Christ and His work as our great high priest. We can learn what it means to be hid with Christ in the secret place of His tabernacle, to be identified as one who is in Christ Jesus, the holiest of all. And so in chapter 26, we continue with the Lord giving instruction to Moses, as to how he is to construct the tabernacle moreover you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns you shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them the length of each curtain shall be twenty-eight cubits and the breadth of each curtain four cubits all the curtains shall be the same size five curtains shall be coupled to one another And the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outmost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain in the second set. Fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another. And you shall make fifty clasps of gold, and couple the curtains one to the other with the clasps, so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. You shall also make curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains you shall make. The length of each curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. The eleven curtains shall be the same size. You shall couple five curtains by themselves, and six curtains by themselves, and the sixth curtain you shall double over at the front of the tent. You shall make fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in one set, and fifty loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the second set. You shall make fifty clasps of bronze, and put the clasps into the loops, and couple the tent together that it may be a single whole. And the part that remains of the curtains of the tent the half-curtain that remains shall hang over the back of the tabernacle, and the extra that remains in the length of the curtains, the cubit on the one side and the cubit on the other side, shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle, on this side and that side, to cover it, and you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ramskins and a covering of goatskins on top. You shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood, Ten cubits shall be the length of a frame, and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. There shall be two tenons in each frame, for fitting together. So shall you do for all the frames of the tabernacle. You shall make the frames for the tabernacle, twenty frames for the south side, and forty bases of silver you shall make under the twenty frames, two bases under one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons and for the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, twenty frames, and for their forty bases of silver, two bases under one frame, and two bases under the next frame. And for the rear of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six frames, and you shall make two frames for corners of the tabernacles in the rear. They shall be separate beneath, but joined at the top, at the first ring. Thus shall it be with both of them, They shall form the two corners, and there shall be eight frames, with their bases of silver, sixteen bases, two bases under one frame, and two bases under another frame. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. The middle bar, halfway up the frames, shall run from end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold, and shall make their rings of gold for holders for the bars, and you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia wood overlaid with gold with hooks of gold on four bases of silver and you shall hang the veil from the clasps, and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil and the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy you shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place and you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table, and you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia, and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold, and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. Chapter 27 The Bronze Altar. You shall make the altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits broad the altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits and you shall make horns for it on the four corners its horns shall be of one piece with it and you shall overlay it with bronze you shall make pots for it to receive its ashes and shovels and basins and forks and fire pans you shall make all its utensils of bronze you shall also make for it a grating a network of bronze and on the net you shall make four bronze rings at its four corners, and you shall set it under the ledge of the altar, so that the net extends half-way down the altar, and you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze, and the poles shall be put through the rings, so that the poles are on the two sides of the altar when it is carried. You shall make it hollow with boards, as it has been shown to you on the mountain, so it shall be made." you shall make the court of the tabernacle. On the south side the court shall have hangings of fine twined linen a hundred cubits long for one side. Its twenty pillars and their twenty bases shall be of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And likewise for its length on the north side there shall be hangings a hundred cubits long, the pillars twenty and their bases twenty of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And for the breadth of the court on the west side, there shall be hangings of 50 cubits with 10 pillars and 10 bases. The breadth of the court on the front to the east shall be 50 cubits. The hangings for the one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits, with their three pillars and three bases. On the other side, the hangings shall be 15 cubits with their three pillars and three bases. For the gate of the court, There shall be a screen twenty cubits long of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, embroidered with needlework. It shall have four pillars and with them four bases. All the pillars around the court shall be filleted with silver. Their hooks shall be of silver and their bases of bronze. The length of the court shall be a hundred cubits, the breadth fifty and the height five cubits with hangings of fine twined linen and bases of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle, for every use, and all its pegs and all the pegs of the court, shall be of bronze. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. In the tent of meeting, outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. The content in today's reading is too good to miss. We've come to this section of the Old Testament in which the Lord commands that a portable tabernacle be built to accompany the people of God in the wilderness. Everything about its construction was to be precisely according to the pattern that the Lord gave to Moses. Because it would represent a spiritual reality that eventually would be fully communicated through the person of Jesus Christ. Exodus chapter 25, verse 9, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. It's a prophetic picture of Christ. The tabernacle was to be a meeting place where God would make himself known to his people. It was sometimes called the tent of meeting in Exodus 29, verse 42, or the tabernacle of the testimony in Exodus chapter 38, verse 21, in Numbers chapter 1, verse 50. Its construction and prescribed service would put the plan of redemption on display, the secret of the tabernacle, in Psalm 27, 5. It illustrates how fellowship with the one true holy God is made possible through the redemptive work of the perfect mediator, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Greater High Priest, Christ Jesus. The Bible describes the creation of the physical, visible world in 31 verses in the book of Genesis. The creation of the place of worship, the tabernacle, is given far more attention, requiring 243 verses. In the book of Exodus, the tabernacle is the subject of chapters 25 through 40. It is obviously very important that we know whom we worship, why we worship, and how to worship. These truths will be displayed in the tabernacle. Jesus said, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth, in John chapter 4, verse 24. The details pertaining to the construction of the tabernacle help us to understand what worship must be on God's terms, that is, in spirit and in truth, and not on our own. The instructions given to Moses unfold a prophetic pattern reflecting the gospel, the good news of who God is and what he has done to the person of his Son. This pattern can be seen in all that is prescribed. The attitudes of willing, sacrificial obedience in the hearts of the worshipers, the construction materials, their assembly, the prescribed furnishes and their placement within the tabernacle structure, and the service of the tabernacle itself, they all speak of Christ. Number one, the tabernacle must be built with the cooperation of a willing, sacrificial heart. Exodus 25, verse 2. Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from each man whose heart prompts him to give. See how this is wonderfully fulfilled in Exodus chapter 36, verses 2 to 7. It is fulfilled in a greater way in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then i said here i am it is written about me in the scroll i have come to do your will o god number two the tabernacle would be built of certain meaningful elements in exodus 25 verses three to eight this is the contribution which you are to raise from them gold silver and bronze blue purple and scarlet material fine linen goat hair ram skins dyed red porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. Let's look at these components separately and reflect upon their significance. Gold symbolizes the divine nature. This would feature in the furnishings in the holy place and in the holiest of all. It would overlay the acacia wood, which represents the incorruptible humanity of Christ. Silver Silver symbolizes redemption and atonement money. In Genesis 37, verse 28, Exodus chapter 21, verse 32, Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 to 16, Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12, and Matthew chapter 27, verse 3. This would feature in the footings and the connection rods in the tabernacle. Bronze Bronze symbolizes judgment against sin. This features in the brazen altar, prefiguring the cross of Christ, where sin is judged. The foundation sockets and pillars for the fence posts were of brass in Numbers 21, verse 9, John chapter 3, verse 14, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 23, Revelation chapter 1, verse 15. Blue. Blue stands for the heavenly authority. Purple. Purple stands for royalty and scarlet, the sacrificial color symbolizing the blood of the atoning sacrifices. These colored yarns are to adorn the veil that separates the holy place from the holiest of all. Fine twined linen represents the righteousness in Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, that comes from a seed falling into the ground and rising in John chapter 12, verse 24. Not a fabric from an animal, but from a flax plant it is a fabric that does not cause sweat, which would imply our own works. Goat's hair, tanned ramskins, skins, and goatskins They are featured in the outside coverings of the tent. Inside the tent, only linen and precious materials were visible, representing what is made known through the revelation of the word, what eye has not seen and ear has not heard. On the outside of the tabernacle, it looked very common as its coverings were of materials familiar to the region, reminding us of the prophetic picture of Christ in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Acacia wood. Acacia wood was a durable wood, speaking of incorruptible humanity. We see how the Ark of the Covenant is constructed of acacia wood covered with gold, A perfect picture of Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, yet man without sin. The boards of the tabernacle wall were constructed of acacia wood. It is a wood that is resistant to rot. Oil for the lamps. Oil speaks of the Holy Spirit fueling the illumination of the holy place through the golden lampstand. Spices for the anointing oil and fragrant incense. This will be explained further in Exodus chapter 30, precious stones for the breastplate of the high priest, which will represent the twelve tribes of Israel, the people of God. The first tabernacle was made of silver and gold. The tabernacle of God in Jesus is made of flesh and blood. In John one fourteen, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father Full of grace and truth. The tabernacle of God in the book of Revelation is made of redeemed in Christ ones, and is foreshadowed by the tabernacle in the wilderness. In Revelation 21, verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people and God Himself will be among them. The Illustrated Bible Dictionary records a summary description. The tabernacle was a rectangular enclosure, in length about 45 feet, reckoning that a cubit is approximately 18 inches, and in breadth and height about 15 feet. Its two sides and its western end were made of boards of acacia wood, placed on end, resting in sockets of brass the eastern end being left open. This framework was covered with four coverings, the first of linen, in which figures of the symbolic cherubim were wrought with needlework in blue and purple and scarlet threads, and probably also with threads of gold. Above this was a second covering of twelve curtains of black goat's hair cloth reaching down on the outside almost to the ground. In Exodus 26, verses 7 to 11, the third covering was of ram skins dyed red, and the fourth was of badger skins. Hebrew, tahash, the dagong, a species of seal, in Exodus 25, verse 5, Exodus 26:14, Exodus 35, verse 7, verse 23, Exodus 36:19, Exodus 39, verse 34. Number three, the tabernacle's furnishings speak of Christ. First, there's the Ark of the Covenant. This is the first mentioned furnishing of the tabernacle and will serve as its central feature and the only feature in the holiest of all. It is here, before this uniquely constructed chest, that the High Priest on the Day of Atonement will commune with the glory of God. He can only do this if the prerequisite is made. The blood of the atoning sacrifice is sprinkled on the pure gold mercy seat covering over the Ark. The mercy seat is on top of the Ark of the Testimony, which contained the pot of manna, that cr- represents Christ as the bread of life, the tables of stone, which represents Christ who fulfills the law in Matthew five seventeen, and is the end of the law in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, and the rod that budded in Numbers chapter 17, verse 10, and John chapter 11, verse 25, Christ as the resurrection and the life. The blood is witnessed by the golden cherubim, representing those angelic beings who were originally stationed as protectors of God's holiness outside the gates of Eden with their drawn swords. Only when the blood is on the mercy seat could the Shekinah glory of God's presence fill the holiest of all. Verse 22 of chapter 25, There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment, for the sons of Israel, next we have the table of bread in Exodus twenty-five verses twenty-three to thirty. This was constructed so that a dozen flat loaves of bread, positioned in two piles of six, in Leviticus chapter twenty-four verse six, shall be presented before the Lord, and flagons and cups can rest for the drink offerings to be poured out before the Lord. The table was constructed of acacia wood, speaking of incorruptible humanity, covered with gold, speaking of deity of the same substance as the ark. It pictures all that the people of God, symbolized by the number of twelve, offered before the Lord as those who had been baked into the loaf of Christ, that is, identified with Christ. Next we have the golden lampstand in Exodus chapter 25, verses 31 to 40. There are seven flames with three branches on each side of a central branch. The number seven speaks of perfection, meaning enough in Hebrew. It reminds us of the sevenfold Spirit of the Lord in Isaiah 11, verse 3. Each branch of the lampstand was ornamented with almond buds. Almond means wakener or hastener. It is the first tree to waken in the spring, the first fruit of all trees. Aaron's rod budded, and this was a picture of resurrection life. Zechariah's vision of the lampstand signified the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, the lampstand provides the only illumination for the holy place, except when on the great day of atonement the blood is applied to the mercy seat over the ark in the innermost sanctuary. Then the light of the Shekinah glory will spill through the veil. The next section has to do with the coverings, the curtains, and the framework in Exodus chapter 26, verses 1 through 30. There were four coverings of curtains looped together that were placed over the top and fell over the side. The inside layer was of linen, embroidered with figures of cherubim in blue, purple, and scarlet looped together with gold fastenings. The second layer, covering the linen, was of goat's hair, the third of ram's skin, dyed red, and the outermost has been described as a more repellent skin of badger, seal, or porpoise. The tent is united with fifty clasps of bronze in Exodus 26.11, on each constructed long curtain being looped together. is a wonderful picture of the Holy Spirit given at Pentecost. The word Pentecost is based on the word 50 and makes us all one, united in the bond of peace in Ephesians 4, verses three to four. Next, we have the veil in Exodus 26, verses 31 to 37. This curtain divided the holy place, that is the middle sanctuary, from the holiest of all, the inner sanctuary. The embroidered cherubim, Those angelic beings appointed to uphold God's standards of holiness are pictured on the veil and exclude mankind from communing with God. No one can enter the holiest of all but the high priest on one appointed day of the year, the great day of atonement, and he could not enter in without the blood of the atoning sacrifice. Next we have the bronze altar, Exodus chapter 27 verses 1 to 8. This altar, constructed of bronze, one source being from the mirrors of the Egyptians, was where the priests would make atoning sacrifices for the sins of God's people through the vicarious offerings of animal substitutes. It represents the cross. It is positioned at the door. You cannot and must not avoid it. There is no approach to the holy place or the holiest of all apart from the brazen altar. We could say there is no approach to God apart from the cross. It was five cubits by five cubits and three cubits high. It is the largest item of the tabernacle. It is said that the other items could fit inside it. The word altar means lifted up. Jesus said, If I be lifted up, in John 3.14, the altar is the way to God. It is the ladder of Jacob. It lifts us up as accepted in Christ's righteousness and gives us access to communion with God in the holy place, through the perfections of the holiest of all a fire would burn continually on the altar speaking of god's continual judgment on sin ashes would drop through the grate; ashes speak of our lives being reduced to its common denominator it is proof that the judgment has been received through the finished work of christ next we have the court of the tabernacle in exodus chapter 27 verses 9 to 21 this is where the animals would be received by the priests and the sacrifices would be made. In future readings, we will learn more about the furnishings and the service that takes place here. Now let's move on to the New Testament reading, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 to 30. Our reading today consists of the parables that Jesus gives on the Mount of Olives. This is the mount that overlooks Jerusalem and the mountain from which Jesus will ascend in Acts chapter 1, verse 12 and return in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4. These parables have to do with the day of the Lord and His people being ready to meet Him when He does return. We start with the parable of the ten virgins. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, They took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, i knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed so i was afraid and i went and hid your talent in the ground here you have what is yours but his master answered him you wicked and slothful servant you knew that i reap where i have not sown and gather where i scattered no seed then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming i should have received what was my own with interest So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to every one who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's take a moment to reflect upon these parables. First, the parable of the ten bridesmaids. In Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. God often refers to Himself as the husband of Israel in Isaiah chapter 54, verses 4 to 6. Jesus refers to Himself as the bridegroom in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 15. Jews and Gentiles have been invited to the wedding. In Hebrew weddings, the wedding time was set by the Father. The Father had to inspect the wedding chamber, which often was an addition made to the Father's house. Only with the Father's approval could the wedding take place only the father knew the hour that the bridegroom would return for the bride jesus's words to his disciples in the upper room reflected the speech of a young man proposing to marry his intended spouse the bridegroom would say to his intended fiancee in my father's house there are many dwelling places if it were not so i would have told you for i go to prepare a place for you if i go and prepare a place for you i will come again and receive you to myself That where i am there you may be also in john chapter 14 verses two to three once the father gives the approval the friend of the bridegroom announces the wedding it could be at any hour and the bridesmaids need to be ready those who really anticipated the wedding would have had an oil supply speaking of the holy spirit as well as trimmed wicks the parable teaches that you cannot borrow regeneration of the spirit from another We are born again of the Spirit as we trust Jesus Christ as our only true Savior and repent of trusting in false saviors. Next, let's look at the parable of the three servants, sometimes referred to as the parable of the talents, in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. This is a powerful parable on stewardship. What do we do with what God has given us to bless others and bring a return of the wonderful investment that He has made in our lives? He has given us time, opportunities, learnings, relationships, spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities. To bury our talent, sit on it, and not use it for the purpose He has given it, shows that we have no appreciation for the grace that we have received. Let us all live our lives fully for God's glory, stewarding all that we have been given by God's grace, so that in the great day we will hear the words, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Matthew 25, verse 21. So one of the signs that we have received the grace of salvation is that we want to steward that grace. And now a reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 31, verses 1 to 8. And we have a special guest reading Peter Healy today. We'll read from Psalm
1: 31. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, You are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hands of mine enemy. You have set my feet on a broad place.
0: What a great psalm that is. No matter how difficult the situation may be, we should recognize that the Lord is faithful and a refuge. The psalmist says the words that will be upon the lips of Jesus on the cross, into your hand I commit my spirit. Psalm 31 verse 5, in the midst of misery we can find mercy for the Lord is a rock of refuge for those who trust in Him. And now for today's reading from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1-11. through Wisdom is personified and is heard calling to sinners, beseeching them to be reconciled to God. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals she cries aloud to you o men i call and my cry is to the children of man o simple ones learn prudence o fools learn sense Hear, for i will speak noble things and from my lips will come what is right for my mouth will utter truth wickedness is an abomination to my lips all the words of my mouth are righteous there is nothing twisted or crooked in them They are all straight to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Truly we can say this of the word of God. It is wisdom that speaks noble things, right things, truth, righteousness, with no wickedness, nothing crooked or perverted. Wisdom's speech is straightforward. We would do well to take her instruction and value it more than jewels, silver, or gold. All desirable things cannot compare with her. Mark Twain is credited as saying, it isn't what I don't understand about the Bible that worries me. It is what I do understand. Are you inclining to God's wisdom today? Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for the beauty of your tabernacle. Thank you for your self-revelation through your word. You were making known your grace and truth in the tabernacle of Moses. How much more fully you have made yourself known in the person of your Holy Son, Jesus. We thank you for the work of redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, and the reconciliation that makes it possible for us to be your dwelling place. May your glory, the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be seen in us and in your church worldwide, both now and forever. In his matchless name we ask it. Amen. It's been a blessing to be reading the Word of God together with you today, and God willing, we'll be back tomorrow as we press on with the one-year Bible tour. I always like to remind you that we provide a free service, sending out a daily email with a written copy of our commentary on each day's reading, with color maps, charts, and illustrations that folks find helpful. You can subscribe to this free email by going to our website, newlife.org. And you can always contact us by email, as our email address is podcast at newlife.org. We are happy to answer your questions, receive your feedback and comments, or learn more about how we can be praying for you. Also, you can help us in our mission to spread the Word of God through this podcast by indicating it's a blessing to you, subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, leaving a review, or giving us a like. We trust that the rest of your day be full of inspiration and that you will seize each moment as a gift from God and share the joy. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Shalom.